Hey, 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 this is Lisa A, and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC, where you have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, and what inspires them both in their work and personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. And I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's find out who's that star. Today's star grew up locally in Ingham County and attended Stockbridge Community Schools. He played trombone for 15 years and was awarded a music scholarship at Elma College, where he earned a Bachelor's of Arts degree. This star decided to take a couple of years off, then returned to earn a Master's of Arts degree in counseling and higher education from Western Michigan University. His first full-time professional job in higher education was the Student Services Coordinator at Western Nebraska Community College. He returned to Michigan in 1999 and worked three and a half years as an academic advisor at Oakland University in the School of Education and Human Services. He came back home to Lansing area upon being hired as LCC's Student Employment Coordinator in 2002, where he has been employed at LCC for 21 years. Okay, are you ready to learn who's today's star? Drum roll, please. Today's star is James Woolcock. Thank you, James, for being a guest on Who's That Star? Lisa, thank you so much. I'm honored and grateful to be on here with you. I think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing. I'm sure your personality fits very well with this, being the outgoing person that you are and, and wanting to get to know about people. I, uh, I just appreciate uh, this opportunity, so thank you. Thank you, James. You're right, because I feel like I get an opportunity to be nosy at the same time and still give everybody an opportunity to learn about the wonderful staff that we have here at LCC. So let's jump into the questions. The first one is, how did you get started in your career? Well, that's always a good question. And uh, I'll be honest that like a lot of young adults right out of high school and into college, if you will, I was more of a traditional age student. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I needed to go to school, get an education. But in terms of career choice or Mm. picking an academic major, forget about it. And so you know, like a lot of students, I just started taking courses. Uh, as you'd mentioned, I had a, a scholarship at Elma College, and uh, I did get through in four years, miraculously. Wow, yeah. And I majored in political science, but it was kind of by default. And I only say that because I, the majority of my undergraduate credits were in that discipline, so that was the quickest way for me to graduate. Mm-hmm. And so when reality set in at the point of graduation, and I needed to get out and work and make some money and start repaying student loans... It wasn't until about the second summer that it was actually my dad who encouraged me, found a position at the uh, Interlochen Center for the Arts up near Traverse City. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, having been 
performing musician, it, it really kind of fit well. In fact, I'd been to camp there as a kid back in high school. Uh, that was my first introduction to an educational environment. I was actually working as a uh, residence hall counselor oh. and living in the uh, residence hall with the freshmen and sophomore boys at the time. And so I was immersed in, it's a boarding school. So mm. students actually come from all different countries to stay there and study arts, music, writing, uh, you name it. And I really, I felt at home there. I was helping students. I was helping people. I was part of a team. Um, I worked real closely with the counseling staff and the dean of students at Interlock, and who just both happened to be graduates of the counseling program at Western, which is where I ended up going after that. I spent a year and a half at Interlock, but after that experience, I was encouraged to, to check into this program at Western. One thing led to another, and uh, and that's how I got into the counseling program at Western. Wow. And that took a couple of years. During that time, I also had a wonderful grad assistantship at Western and Residence Life that paid for a full year of grad school, but it also gave me more experience in that higher education realm. And, and Residence Life is a very common kind of entry-level position. In yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in addition to living in the residence hall, I was also doing some um, kind of judicial affairs related hearings, oh, if you okay. will. And yeah. again, really enjoyed it. So that experience just knowing that I was in the right field, in the right occupational field, mm-hmm. education. Um, both of my parents are retired teachers. So oh, okay. I think that indirectly yes. directly had an influence. Little did I know at the time, and we'll probably talk about this in a little bit, but as I started to get it more into career advising and learning about the value of that, especially coming from somebody who probably needed more of it when he was younger, um, you know, it was just, it was a way for me to uh, not only learn about myself, but then to kind of do the things that I think are most natural to me, and that's mm-hmm. helping people. Yeah. Um, and and being in an environment where I can do that on a daily basis and uh, and feel good about it at the end of the day, like I'm really making a difference. Yes, yes. That's one of the great things about working in education, period, is because you get an opportunity to help people. It's a, it's a truly a helping profession, so... I agree with you. Okay. So tell me about why you work at LCC. What is it that keeps you coming to work and so passionate about it? Also a great question. So we'll just kind of pick up from where I left off as far as, uh, you know, my my experience at Western. So at the end of that program, uh, my counseling program at Western, I had to complete a graduate internship in the counseling area. I had to crew so many hours under supervision. And because my specialization was higher ed, you know, obviously wanted to do that on a, on a higher ed setting of some kind, either a community college or university. But having grown up again in the, in the Lansing area is very familiar with LCC. I actually started inquiring with the counseling services department at the community colleges prior to even really going to the universities. Oh, wow. And it worked out for me, actually. It, long story short, uh, the director of counseling here at the time, um, I came in and, and interviewed and explained what I was looking for, and they were willing to commit to me for one semester for the fall of 96. And so I I actually worked under the supervision of, of Dr. Bramer, who the late Jennifer Dr. Bramer now, bless her soul, she's mm. passed, but she was my mentor and, uh, and, and allowed me to do everything from a little bit of academic advising. I got to teach a student development course. Oh, uh, wow. We offered those back in the day. Yeah. I did some career counseling with Dr. Osborne at the time that he was here and worked in that office. 
So I really got to kind of firsthand learn about LCC and how it functions and actually serve the students. And I loved it. It didn't work out for me that summer because obviously I was working part-time after that. I got a, a job that following summer after I finished my internship in the Multicultural Center, it was called at the time, and, uh, and did that for a couple months before I was offered a full-time job out of state in Nebraska, which I'm sure we'll talk more about in a minute. But yeah, um, that's kind of my, my end to LCC. Even though I left the state for a few years, I came back, and here I am again 21 years later. So Right. I was going to ask you because you said you went to, what was it? Western Nebraska Community College. Now, once you when you started there, is that what made you know, like, oh, I'm a community college person versus moving? Like, because then you went to university and worked, and then you came back to community college. So was it opportunity that made you come back to community college, or was it like, I really, I like community college versus university, if that makes sense. Excellent question. You're right, now that I think about that, because that internship at Western was technically a four-year institution, and and then I took that first full-time job at Western Nebraska Community College. It was more of a generalist position. Mm -hmm. The main campus is in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, which is in the Western Panhandle, and I was 80 miles away at one of their extension centers in Sydney. Oh, wow. Uh, and that dimension in itself is is very unique um, in terms of just the challenges that you have working 80 miles from the main campus and serving students. Right. But yeah. So that was that was for a year and a half. It was a short stint, but because it was my first full time professional job in higher ed, I didn't feel that I had the luxury to turn it down. I'd been applying for jobs in state. I wanted to stay in Michigan, but. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're you're trying to just start out as a new professional, you can't be that selective. I didn't feel right. But it turned out to be a wonderful experience because that gave me a little different taste of how community colleges work in other states, Mm -hmm. Um, but still the same kind of open admission philosophy, obviously. I wasn't really, at that point, convinced that I wanted to stay in the the community college realm, and that's kind of what then opened my eyes to applying to jobs back here in the state of Michigan. And I was applying to both community colleges and universities, but it was Oakland University that ended up kind of calling and inviting me in for an interview uh, for one of their uh, undergraduate advising positions. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I took that, I was there for three and a half years and really loved it. It was uh, an experience I don't regret at all. I still maintain contact with some of my, you know, colleagues from there. That was the first experience, you know, working at a four-year selective admission institution, serving students on a daily basis. and it certainly has, you know, its place. Um, there's no question. I have nothing but positive things to say about my time at Oakland. But to answer your question, I think what I realized and why I needed to be in the community college setting versus the university setting is just because of the impact or the influence that we can have on helping people who otherwise may not have had that opportunity. Yes. Because we are open admission, we give just about anybody who wants that opportunity a chance. And, you know, with that comes some significant obstacles and challenges, obviously, as, as you know, as a, as a professional in higher ed. But when students succeed and we see them, you know, matriculate and graduate and move on, it's such a rewarding feeling to know that we've, you know, contributed positively, not only to that person's life, but to the, you know, the kind of the greater community and 
which we live. So that's why I'm still here 21 years later, really. Yeah, because that's what um, I was going to say that you came back here and you've been here 21 years. What are you doing? What's your role now? Great question. So my role has evolved like a lot of us. Uh, when I first came in in 2002, I still had my license, my, my counseling license credential, and I was actually, um, do, half of my role was, was career counseling at the time. And that was in addition to the administrative role that I still have now, which is the coordination of the student employment on-campus jobs and the federal work-study program. Okay. So that kind of administrative side of my position was done in conjunction with the career counseling. And that part is what I really loved. That was my, my passion. And it was a really high demand need and service that we provided, especially during the kind of the height of the recession back mm, then. And yes. The late 2000s. We did some really nice, neat things. Uh, I remember being part of the, um, the development of the utility line worker program under Dick Scott when he was oh, here wow, at the time. Yeah. He was the director of that department when I was in CES. And in addition to that, we even rolled out the, I think it was the IT apprenticeship program because Scotty's background was in apprenticeships. So, oh, wow. you know, just some really neat things. And then uh, as the organization changed and, and leadership administrations changed, uh, that's where I was transferred. My position was transferred to the financial aid department. So now I'm doing more administrative, not so much the career advising piece, but um, that's still really my passion. And so I try to find ways to incorporate that mm -hmm. when I meet with students, if I can. Right. Especially with that kind of that student employment bent and the experiences that you get from that and the skills that you acquire and the people that you meet. Yeah. Uh, there can be a really good link to, you know, longer term goals for students if they can see it, in, you know, some value that way. So so right now, yeah, it's mostly the student employment stuff that I'm doing and, and work study and financial aid. So would a student get an opportunity to speak with you or is that a particular reason that they would talk to you and you're kind of doing like a lot of this moving parts to get them from A to B and they might not necessarily know that you're behind the scenes or would they have an opportunity to interact with you? Behind the scenes, I you know, we use that term a lot and uh, I chuckle a little bit just because I'm I'm naturally my personality tends to lean more towards introversion than extroversion. Uh -huh. uh, and so for that reason, I, I find myself needing to actually take the initiative sometimes to get out and be seen and meet people. And, and so uh, it was much easier for me to do that when I first hired in, because you might recall before all the renovations in Gannon, the Career and Employment Services office was an open door office. Mm -hmm, yeah. And I was seeing students on both a walk-in and an appointment basis. And I was, you know, I was very visible. Students could walk and basically see me uh, or see the office that I worked in. Whereas now I'm, you know, officed back in zone three in financial aid and I'm serving students, but mostly, you know, either via the phone as they call in through email. Uh, but Absolutely. I, uh, we do have the career center office in the star zone mm -hmm. and that's essentially kind of what the career and employment services office has transitioned to. And so even though I'm not office there, uh, Becca, Sowen and I work very closely together when, when I was in CES, she was still there. Yeah. And, uh, so if I ever need to meet with students, I, I usually make a point to meet with them there. Okay. Um, I've done a couple workshops with Becca. I'm going to look at possibly, you know, 
starting those up again, just to kind of maybe once a month or every other month, uh, provide some informational sessions for students who want to know more about uh, on-campus jobs. Oh, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I was around when that happened, but I think that's a good idea. I think that one, a lot of times we don't necessarily know how to tell them to navigate if the, we'll say get a job, but we may not necessarily know ourselves as employees all the different intricate steps. So I think that's a good idea. And I know um, we had Becca on here before. So I think that you pro- you two probably are a great team to get that information out. Yeah, she's a wonderful colleague to work with and uh, she gets it. She's very involved, does a wonderful job in promoting their services. And, and I see she's doing a lot of different events and job mm-hmm. fairs to be more visible and uh you know so it's yeah i'm looking forward to that Um, because you got a whole nother aspect like i didn't really know like i knew i think i remembered when i first hired in you were still in that dual role i remember that yeah Yeah, and, and then you know as time transitioned and so now that i think about it like you got a wealth of knowledge that i forgot about And I don't mean to say that like funny, but as you've transitioned into this new role, you have a whole wealth of knowledge that you used previously that can still be tapped in. Like you said, with those workshops and doing different things that can help our student staff to be more employable. You just got a good skill set. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Lisa. You know, I as silly as this might sound when I did my graduate internship here again in counseling department, the career part of that, where I was spending time in the career office, again, was not only my kind of my most favorite part, but it was also, um, I still kind of felt like I needed some support in that area. Like I knew I had found the right profession, but I, I was still a little bit frustrated from my experiences undergrad and, and not really being able to figure it out as quickly as I wanted to. And that when I took this position there, I, I learned about the the career planning model, mm-hmm. the development model that uh, really when you break it down so that students can understand kind of what they need to do and how they need to get there, it really can make a lot more sense. For me, it was very eye-opening. And so because I could relate to that and I, I found that to be a really um, powerful tool to kind of... Uh, help me become more confident in my career choice. That's why I, I think kind of really drew me to that, to that role, that mm. career advising role and the benefit that it brings, because it is a process. But once you find a, a, you know, a framework that works, that you can explain it to people in a way that makes sense to them mm-hmm. uh, and that they can take that and then work with it because it's ultimately their decision, right? Um, yep. So yeah, that's, that, that was really a, a valuable experience for me. Okay, well, I want to know, what's the career highlight you're most proud of? Career highlight. So we uh, introverts don't like to talk about ourselves a lot, right? But I'm going to toot my horn here a little bit. Toot it. And uh, I will actually go back to my experience at Oakland University. I'm going to share this because it's a measurable accomplishment, Mm -hmm. um, but it's one that I'm proud of. And that is so... I think maybe the second year that I was in the position, the advising position there in the School of Education, the university invested, they hired the contract uh, ACT to do a student satisfaction survey on undergraduate advising. Oh. 
at Oakland. And so all the undergraduate students were given a survey relation to the type of advising, the quality of advising, their level of satisfaction. Long story short, of all the undergraduate advisors at the university, I came in second only to the nursing department in terms of level of student satisfaction. Oh, wow. That's good. I was really uh, proud of that. You know, you talk about accomplishments and I hear students tell me thank you and this and that and the other thing occasionally. And it's wonderful because I that's what I do what I do. Right. Mm -hmm. But to see it measured that way um, just kind of was very reaffirming that, yeah, I'm I'm making a difference and and it's making a difference in a very positive way for a lot of students. Oh, I love that. I mean, it's nothing like data, right? Somebody telling you a numerous people, you can see it in writing. You're great. And sometimes you need that uh, little encouragement. And, and I think that that's wonderful. And because the nursing program is really specialized. So they're giving some intense you know guidance and advising. And for you to be up just below them, you're stellar. You know what I'm saying? You're doing a great job. And so I definitely want to shout that out. Uh, come on over Thank to advising. You, <laughs> you know, because that's what you do. But I, yeah, yeah, I absolutely, to this day, I mean, I still really cherish that. And um, so if I had to pick one, that would be my. Well, no, I love that because I think that it lets you know, you know, you just, it's just something that you can draw back on that. Okay. I'm really, I really was doing a good job and I did good work and my students recognize that. And I think that's, that's important because it feeds you, right? It, it makes absolutely you, does. Oh, wow, I'm going to learn some more. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do that. And so I think that that's great, James. And I know that the work that you do now, you do that same level. You're going to make sure the students got what they need. You're going to advocate for them. You're going to go above and beyond to make sure that those student employees have a good experience. So. I don't know if you hear it, but I'll toot your horn again. I do hear it, and I appreciate it. We need to do that for each other, and I think we do a very yeah. fine job of that here at LCC. We we recognize the challenges we have, but we also know it's important to celebrate those successes. And um, so I feel the same way about you, but thank you for those kind words. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Well, let me ask you what motivates you to work hard. What motivates me to work hard? You know, I again, I go back to... In the society we're in today between social media and and what have you, we can get inundated with a lot of negative information. I want to feel good at the end of the day and and make somebody's life more positive. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I can make my life positive too, great. But it's, it's knowing that I'm making some kind of a positive difference in somebody's life. Am I contributing to the betterment of society? And if I am, uh, at the end of the day, I'm going to go home and sleep well. Uh, So whether that's, you know, advising or helping them through uh, verification requirement for financial aid, or sometimes it's not knowing the answer when the student calls in on the phone inquiring about a financial aid question. But tell you what, here's my name. I'm going to take this on personally. I'm going to get the answer for you. And if you're willing, I'll call you back in an hour or two and give you the full answer. And I can't tell you how many students are fine with that. I mean, obviously you have to follow through with your word and call yeah. it back, which I do. But um, it's that kind of personal attention that I valued when I was a student. Mm-hmm. And so I've tried to kind of, you know, practice what you preach, so to speak. And that's it what, does make it. Yeah, sense. no, I get it. I appreciate that too. And, I, and I'm and i sure 
that the students do. So here's the deal. We've ran all the time and I had a whole bunch more questions to ask, but I'm going to leave with one more question and I could go with you another 30 minutes or so, but I'm going to end it with what's one thing that can instantly make your day better. No question. It's the thank you. You really helped make a difference or gal, you really took the time to give me what I needed. For me, that's huge. Uh, some people don't necessarily need that kind of reaffirmation. I do occasionally, you know, yeah. because we do have challenges like everybody in their profession, but you know, it's just nice to hear something positive and especially from the students that we serve. And when you hear that directly and they share maybe even a little bit more about the challenges they'd had up to that point, and boy, you finally took the time to figure it out. It just really is, that's what motivates me to get up and, and come into work every day, really. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I'm glad that you got a chance to come on Who's That Star so that people can get opportunity to hear your passion and learn what your role is and how you help students um, I'm, I appreciate you coming on Who's That Star, and I want to thank you for all the hard work that you do. And uh, do you have anything that you'd like to close out with? You know, I will. Just one thing, um, because I found that this is something that I'm, you know, 25 years into my profession or more, still need to do. And that is to, to connect with people, to network. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking not just about you and I as professionals in the field, but I'm talking about students right now who are, are going to school. And yeah, the student employees, but, but really any student. Um, student employment is a great place for that, obviously, because you're working while you're on campus. You're meeting people in the various departments. You're establishing those relationships with people who at some point may become that reference that you put right on the application. Yeah. And so I did a really good job of that early in my career. Once I got locked into my profession, I was working full time. I, I kind of let that go. Mm. And what I learned is that's not healthy to do because you're going to need those connections. You're going to need people to kind of vouch for you to be there when you need a reference or you need somebody to vouch for you know, the, the quality of work that you do is to find ways to connect and make those relationships with people who are going to be a part of your network uh, over time. Yes. And it just makes that journey so much easier because now you're doing it not alone. You're doing it with the support of people who've been there already, who know what, uh, what potential you have and are willing to support you in achieving your goals. Yes. So... That would be the one piece of advice I would give to any student, regardless of whether they're working on campus or not, is find a mentor, find a person, a connection, a relationship, a somebody who you can learn from, grow from. And uh, I, I think that's, you know, the sky's the limit once you do that. Well, once again, thank you, James. And we're going to close with that. Until next time. You've been listening to Who's That Star? I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out Who's That Star.
featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. If you're considering returning to school, exploring career options, or needing support in life transitions, Lansing Community College has the Adult Resource Center available to qualified students. The Adult Resource Center staff provides one-on-one appointments, registration assistance, referrals to community and campus resources, tuition and childcare grants, academic advising, and other helpful tools to help with your educational career. To find out more information, visit lcc.edu and search Adult Resource Center. On the success scenario, we meet and hear from current LCC students who face adversity, why they chose LCC, and how they turn their situation into a successful one. Definitely now after second semester, my self-confidence is up there. I can do this and I can do this well. Age has nothing to do with it. Like I told you before, I have the I have notes from that first meeting and it was take your age out of it. You deserve to be here. You belong here. I'm Dustin Abrego. The Success Scenario is a program dedicated to inspiring students towards a path of success. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime online at lccconnect.org. Have you had to choose between picking up a prescription or buying groceries, paying your utility bill, or insulating your attic? You're not alone. Every day, people across Michigan are faced with choices. Michigan Community Action is a network of agencies helping people achieve greater financial and personal independence through programs such as weatherization, food distribution, utility assistance, and Head Start preschools. The programs supported by Michigan Community Action benefit people all over the state. Maybe you've just lost your job and are having trouble making ends meet. Or maybe you're retired and Social Security isn't enough. Whatever your situation, we may be able to help. Visit michigancommunityaction.org or call 855-MI-ACTION to find out more. Helping people. Changing lives. Sponsored by Michigan Community Action and Michigan Broadcasters. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply prior credits toward their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Melissa Ford Luckin. Rosalie Pachowski. Susan Seraph and Jess. Editors for the Washington Square Review. Washington Square On Air showcases the poetry and fiction of the latest edition of LCC's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, read by the poets, authors, and editors themselves. Expect the unexpected as our contributors express experience and fantasy with humor, imagination, poetic license, irony, and passion. If you love language at its most original, please join us in our audio town square to celebrate a community of writers spanning from around the world to Lansing. This is Melissa Ford Locken, editor with the Washington Square Review. I'm here today with Joshua Sinel, whose piece, What You See in the Clouds, is in our latest issue. 
And we're happy to have you here, Joshua. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Melissa. It's fun to be here. Sure thing. So tell us a little bit about your piece. How did you come to write it? Well, you know, there's always a lot of story in a story, right? Um, That's a good question. I had not written short fiction for, and I'm going to age myself here, for 20 years. And I had written a couple novels and sort of put them in a drawer, as is typical a lot of times. And I just really wanted, I just needed to, to start going again. And I could not get going. And so a very good friend of mine who I talk to and complain to a lot about this kind of thing, and it's such a kind of typical assignment, right, when you're blocked or when you're not writing, she said, why don't you just write a character sketch? Just write the character. And I thought, well, you know, come on, that's, you know, write the character, write a scene or write a memory or journal. And it just felt so off sort of target for what I wanted to do, which was to make a story. Uh, and I just sort of acquiesced and said, okay, fine, uh, very begrudgingly. And, and so it really started as a character sketch. And just, um, I think in giving myself permission not to have to architect, construct, or go into that place where you write a whole story, I was able to just start. And, and so that was the process part was, you know, I had to trick myself into, into writing this by continually telling myself that it was just a a character sketch and not to worry about it. But you know, what what I found really fascinating about it, because I'd never done it that way before, is that if you really do approach it, really want to get a character and you kind of fool yourself into thinking there's no more on you than that, at some moment, the character has a story to tell. And that's just it. I don't think you can create a character that doesn't have some story behind them. And then if you invite them to tell it, you know, it turns out they will. So that was sort of the process. It was really my re-entry into what I have loved and kind of done and been passionate about forever and literally took a 20, 25 year break from. A lot of it was about taking the pressure off myself and not necessarily putting it on. So you said that you uh, took a 20 year break. Are you saying (laughs) that you, you didn't really do any writing during the 20 years? Well, you know what I did? I did what I think a lot of writers do when they put it down for whatever reason is they then sort of convince themselves that whatever they're up to after that is very creative and I'm using the same muscles and I'm using. So it's fine. You know, like it's great. So I actually uh, ended up starting a bunch of businesses um, and launching businesses and being an entrepreneur. And and I, I spent a long time then telling myself, uh, this is creative enough. So the answer is no, I really didn't write much of anything. I think maybe four years ago, I decided I would write a novel um, as long as no one was watching. And and I did that. And because it was a format that I'd never written in before, uh, when I was writing and getting short stories published, everybody would come to me, editors or agents and say, okay, great, you know, uh, now write your novel. And I was just completely paralyzed over that. So I think that was my way in, was to say, you know what, I have to be able to do this. So what what is it that you took the pause from? So what kind of writing were you doing 20 years earlier? Well, I went to Columbia to go get my master's from the writing division there, which um, beyond sort of the amazing instruction you can get and the peers you can work with in the workshops and all of that, you know, it was two years to write. You know, and that I think was incredibly valuable. So I wrote short stories. That was my thing. 
I was young and I had a lot of early success. You know, I got published. I won awards in American fiction and uh, writers at work. You know, and so at that inflection point where I was being very successful with my short stories at a very young age, and then being told, okay, if you would like to now take the next step and really make this into something real, uh, you know, just give me the novel and we'll sign you up and we'll do it. And I think it was at that moment that I just sort of froze. I mean, I was 24 years old or something. So I just froze. I said, forget it. I can't write a novel. I'm not a novelist. I think I got a little indignant. I'm a short story writer. How can you make me write a novel? And who cares what people are buying? Ultimately, I used that as my sort of exit for a while. Yeah, I could imagine that it would be very exciting and fulfilling to get that much recognition early on. But it could also be very intimidating yeah, and it was intimidating. I think I created the novel as something I could, a mountain I couldn't climb. And so I think that's why getting back into it a few years ago, I, I kind of had to start with a novel. How did that process <laughs> feel? You know, that was interesting because I had what I, I think I had done the lazy person's approach to trying to meet these people's needs, right? Which was take a short story that everyone thought was terrific and great and try to turn it into a novel. And it really was like me trying to fake it or, you know, half step it or find a shortcut. And again, so when I got to that process of really wanting to tackle that, again, for me, it's about giving myself permission to not really care so much how the thing turns out or whether I can do it or not. It only took me 25 years to get to that, but um, that was really it. it was really just saying, look, I don't know how to do this or I've never done it before, but I'll try. And, you know, going to, to schools and the programs, and you know this from the programs that you run and you're in, it's an incredible blessing, but there's pressure in it. You know, you got to produce and everyone wants to get published and everyone wants to kind of get read and that can become a stumbling block, right? Because um, then you're not necessarily in your creative process or your creative flow or in that zone that we want to get to, but you're writing for for some other reason, you're writing for that payback or to meet somebody's desire to see it, you know, this way or that way. And, and I think that can really get in the way. Yeah, you can lose yourself. There's also the sad reality that a lot of times short stories work well in workshop settings, but pieces of novels don't. So yeah. when you're a novelist and you show up at workshop with 12 pages that, you know, are pulled out of 300, it's it's not the same as 12 pages that stand on their own. That's true. And I think there was, and, and maybe there still is this orientation in the MFA programs, right? Which is, yeah, if you would like to really get that feedback and improve your skills and, you know, it's, it, maybe it is easier to be able to write multiple short stories over the course of your work and your workshopping than it is to bring in, you know, 12 pages that staggered through all the other people you're working with. Yeah. So it, some of it may really have come from that the environment encouraged that format. It's also much more exciting to start new projects all the time. It's like, you know, yeah. buying different cars or different clothing yeah. outfits, right? I, today I'm this and 
two weeks later, you're this other thing. But when you're writing a novel, it's just you with that same thing day after day. It's a personality thing, right? It's sort of like, you know, how, how easily do you get bored of your, yourself or your own activity? And short stories are perfect for short, sort of that shorter attention span. The reward in the short story is sooner you know much more quickly. It was funny, I I, I wrote a poem, and I could, I'll talk about that later, but, you know, I'd never written poems, and I'd been in the, in the program with a bunch of poets, and I, I can kind of recognize a great poem, but but when I do and I see it, it's just all awe and wonder. You know, it's sort of like, how in the world did this person do that? So I decided, well, let me, you know, why not? Let me see if I can do it. What was really interesting about the process, because, you know, we're all in this process of sending our work out and submittable is there, so it's super easy now. One of the things about writing a poem is, a, a real poet might really get mad at me for saying this, so and I'm not one, so forgive me. But you can write a poem much more quickly than you can write a short story in a novel. And it turns out people can read a poem much more quickly than they can read a short story in a novel. So, you know, the the starting to write in different formats and understanding that, you know, there's a reader and there's a process and even trying to get a resume together and get some publishing credits together and whatever else it is, I sent out my poem and I, and I heard the next day. And so to me, it was sort of like, well, that's fascinating. And then I kind of figured out, well, maybe not, right? Like maybe that editor over there can read it in, you know, 10 minutes and maybe give it a second read and then they know. Short stories and novels, you know, it's a little more complicated to know what you're looking at. Are you going to write more poems and send them out? The answer is yes, but, you know, again, I am so, yeah. Because you know there's a poet out there who's thinking, all right, Joshua, all right, go ahead and write seven poems and see if you got all those published. Totally. And, and yeah, exactly. That's why I said I think I'm going to make a lot of actual real poets very angry at me, right? Because I had no business writing a poem and I certainly had no business getting it published and maybe it was a fluke and so I'll grant that to all the real poets. But the answer is, of course, yeah, I'm going to write more and see, but I want to find out too. Um, right. <laughs> no one wants to be a one-hit wonder, but you know, well, one is better than none. <laughs> well, all you've done is repeat the cycle, right? Just like win the first race out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, problematic. And again, maybe we're maybe it's a personality trait. You know, I, I you know I love to win something, and then once I've won, I don't really feel like playing anymore. Um, I hope that's not the case, because um, I'm getting back to it. You know, if there are writers listening. Right? I'll describe the experience of not writing for 25 years, because in a way, that's an experience that I think a lot of artists uh, have, right? I know that at the time that I stopped writing, I felt like it was a decision between making a living and doing my art. That's a story as old as time, right? And I would love to say, hey, you know, you can do both and wake up at, you know, five in the morning like Walt Whitman or something and then go deliver the mail. You know, but honestly, today in this world, like, I'm not sure how easy that is. But I will tell you what the experience of deciding to go make a living instead of making your art does to you. Well, I won't go. This is a light show. We won't say what it does to you. But what it feels like is this constant nagging feeling that you are forgetting something and you can't remember what it is. And we all have those, right? I think there was something I'm supposed to remember. So it's not even a memory, right? It's the idea of remembering something. And so walk around with that feeling for 20 years, 25 years. It's really uncomfortable. 
you know, I don't know if that's like a cautionary tale or just sort of the idea to listen, to, to do something about that, right? Don't become an expert at repressing and denying your artistic desire. And I think a lot of us have really become experts at that. Uh, and I will not walk around with regret, so I'm not going to call it regret, but feels like there's a lot of wasted time behind me. I'm really curious to know if you feel like the writing community is different now because 20 years ago, the internet really wasn't around the way it is now. And here it is. So how does the writing community feel different to you? Well, one thing I'm keenly aware of is how many outlets there are for writers to, to be read. So the difference is, is not incremental at all. It's just mind blowing. So you know, the old days you went out and you got the Writer's Digest Marketplace book and you kind of thumbed through it. You sent all your stuff to the New Yorker and the Atlantic and Paris Review. Uh, On printed you, pages, like you said, with an SASE. Yeah, exactly. And then you thumbed your fingers and, you know, half of them, you know, they're only going to write you back. They're not going to write you back. If they take it, they call you, you know. And so you're putting the self-stamped envelope to get the form letter back. It just, you know, so it's changed. <laughs> yeah. It's changed a lot. And, um, but one of the things that I find really fascinating is, well, I don't want to get into a political discussion. I think the sort of wokeness of the world and the, sen the incredible sensitivity that everyone is walking around with has done an enormous amount of damage to an artist's ability to express the voices and the stories that come to them. So, I have a real problem with the idea that I'm not allowed to write about something. Almost all of my stories were told from a female perspective, for, as a female narrator, um, that almost all of them. And if not, then they were shared between a male and a female perspective. To think that I wouldn't be allowed to do that now because I'm not a female or something or whatever it is, that has changed a lot and that's scary to me. But from a writer's perspective, what I've kind of jumped back into is uh, the communication stuff. The internet has created an opportunity for writers to connect and for writers to share stuff. And they've created these online journals and reviews that, that really allow, that can publish every day something new. So just the opportunity to do your craft and to do your art and to be with like-minded people, you used to have to go to school for that. And, and now you can carry that with you, whether you go to school, after school, whatever it may be. So I think that's amazing and, and sort of priceless. You miss going to the mailbox to see what's in there? <laughs> I, I just go to the email. I just, you know, now I just am obsessively checking my emails and, you know, checking submittable as yes, a process. The, the magic of the <laughs> mailbox is you really could only check it once a day. Well, that's the thing. And so you had this moment, right? Right, so, yeah, yes. that's, that's obviously changed for everything. But yeah, I, yeah, I miss some of that. It felt, you know, look, I say this being as old as I am and coming back to it, so I get to, but everyone else gets to say, you know, give me a break, right? Which is, uh, you know, it felt a little more writerly, maybe. <laughs> there were like paper. There were people were typing on typewriters sometimes, you know, stuff like that, you know? So yeah. But yeah, I, I kind of love the new world and I'm built for, I mean, I've, I've done tech. So the, the businesses I went and ran were all tech businesses. Um, so yeah, I, it sort of became my friend. One of the things my first business did is we built and designed 
a site for Time Warner trade publishing called iPublish.com. Um, this was a long time ago, but it was, um, it, I really think it was the first sort of footprint in, in what we're talking about, this new age of, of writing, which was, it was a way for anyone to sort of engage in the writing process with Time Warner Trade Publishing sitting over it and culling the best stuff and giving those people an opportunity to go further. So it was sort of saying, let's address the slush pile. Right. Let's address this, these closets that they had at Time Warner, literally libraries of submissions, which, by the way, the editors all wanted to read. And their example at that time was if we find one Nicholas Sparks in that closet, we have just paid for Time Warner Trade Publishing for the next five years or whatever it is. So they're compelled to find it. And so it was interesting to watch technology come into the space that way. Now, it was short lived. Um, because AOL, Time Warner, whatever, but it was short-lived. But I think it was the beginning of this idea of a much more open playing field and so many more voices. Yeah. Yeah. I was really compelled by what you said regarding creativity and how when you have a creative outlet and you set it aside, you know, what you were saying about that you can tell there's something missing in your life and you're pretending that you, you don't know what it is, but when you, know, in fact, do know what it is. And it's just yeah. part of, you know, who you are. And so then I was wondering, you know, you said that you wrote a novel. So you did complete a novel or you're working on one? No, I completed one and I'm into my second. So as somebody who wrote shorter pieces before, I'm wondering when you got halfway through, how, how did you keep yourself there writing? Yeah. You know what's interesting? So I that was the daunting question for me, right? That that was before I even took the first step. That was my question. How am I going to stay engaged in this thing? Or, or you know, when, when you write short stories, I would always write a short story. I could see the end. I knew exactly how it ended. And then I would just write to the end. Um, in this one, you know, if you see the end, where do you even start then? You know, how do you know? So I had all of those questions. And, and here was the fascinating thing. You know, I used to, I wrote short stories obsessively. They would literally, if I started one, I was distracted from most things until it was done. I was hearing the characters' voices in my head. I was seeing, you know, it was this thing. And I just felt like there's no way either a novel, long form could sustain that kind of pull and energy, or if it could, there's no way I could survive it, right? Um, and so what was fascinating though, was if you just write, into it. And I'm going to make it sound much simpler than I guess maybe it is, but I wrote a bunch of short stories in a weird way. It felt the same. I was compelled and pulled into it ultimately the same way. And that was the biggest surprise. Um, was the, And it took longer, right? So it took longer to get it going. And, and like I said about the character sketch, to, to get all these characters up ready to, and ready and trusting to tell their stories, that took longer. But once I got there, it pulled me in and bothered me and obsessed me in, the, in just the right ways. Um, so that was really it. Now, the second one, similarly, is doing the same thing. But, you know, I'm writing a second novel. Back to my other point. Maybe I shouldn't be making any of these, but I don't know. I'm hearing my dad's voice in my head. But, um, you know, my second novel is about a Muslim woman um, who's not allowed to drive 
and sneaks out every night in her dad's taxi and learns to race. Um, and, and I guess, you know, so, and I stopped writing it for a while because I felt like no one's going to allow this white Jewish guy to write this novel about a young Muslim girl. It's just never going to happen. Um, so that kind of stuff can get in your way. Right. But here I am doing the exact thing we talked about before, which is saying it's the outcome. You know, I'm attached to the outcome. I'm attached to recognition or I'm attached to having it further my ability to define myself as a writer instead of someone who writes or, you know, whatever it may be I've set up. And all of a sudden, right, the minute I said, geez, you know, maybe no one's going to pick this up or take it seriously or I'm just going to get death threats or something like that. And then all of a sudden, without making some intentional stop, it drifts a bit. I guess if there's advice to be given, you know, it's sort of like, don't get attached to the outcome. Don't don't get attached to that in any way. You can afterwards, sure. Go send it out, polish it, make it good, see what people think. But while you're in it, if your head goes there, you're not in it anymore. And it'll pull you right out. So, yeah. So I've had interesting experiences with the novels. They they do have an ability to pull you in, and they also have this ability to sort of ease you out of it without you even knowing. What was the first novel about? It's really interesting. It's, it's nothing I thought I was ever going to write. It's a ghost story. Um, yeah, it was a ghost story about a, a family who loses their mom and... And somehow this dog that they have is the only member of the family that can still stay connected to this mom. And I don't know where it came from, but has all kinds of stuff that I have no experience with. Um, yeah, and that was fun and it was good, but it felt like a first novel when I was done. You know, it sort of felt like it's not as good as I thought it was when I was writing it. And I think that's probably a good feeling to have. And there's room for improvement. But, you know, a lot of it was under my belt kind of stuff, you know, like, OK, you know, like I wrote I wrote the end at the end, you know, and that that's one of the things that had sort of stood there like a mountain I couldn't climb, just climbed it. So that's a good feeling. And that is worth it. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens with them. For sure. I think the advice of not getting too worked up about the outcome is beautiful advice for writers because as a writer you don't have any control of the outcome correct you know yeah you don't and so that's and that's it and even getting getting concerned with like best work you know it's interesting you know writers are, are jealous of our of painters and painters are jealous of musicians and musicians are jealous of poets you know i mean so we all look at, at other artists doing their thing and think oh man that would be so much easier <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and uh and none of it's easy you know and but it is all about staying in it staying in it right it there is a place that you go to write from mm -hmm. and uh and, and, and then the more you write and the more you practice, the easier it is to go to that place and recognize it when you're there and stay there. But, um, but it, you know, we get enticed out of that space in process all the time. Um, and it just depends on how far we're willing to walk out of it. And that makes it harder to get back. Well said. So, the, your main project right now that you're working on is the second novel? 
Well, I'm greatly distracted. Yes, it is the second novel. But as you mentioned, I had a little success with this poem, so I'm continuing to write poetry. But I really look at that as, uh, after all I just said, I'm going to say this, but I look at that as fun, right? That's just fun because I'm so detached from the outcome because I don't think I'm a poet. So okay. easy, right? So yeah, but the novel, the second novel I am working on uh, toward completion, you know, I entered the, there's a lot of first chapters contests and stuff, which I think are really great. I encourage everyone to just send it out. You know what I mean? Like polish it and send it. So I sent out the first chapters of this one and it made it all the way to the final finals of the James Jones um, first novel fellowship stuff. And so wherever you can get it, like it didn't win, it didn't get it, but it was in the top, you know, what, 4% or something. But I think you just take whatever you can get that becomes encouragement, that gives you a wink, that says, you know, you can do this, um, take it. Like, don't, don't skip it. Don't be humble. Don't like even just by yourself, take it because that stuff is juice and, and we have to run on it sometimes. It's such a solitary thing we do. So, yeah, so the novel, the novel is going to be finished. Yeah, All right. That's what I'm working on. So where yeah. can listeners find this famous poem? <laughs> now I'm afraid to tell people because <laughs> it's become like this. Um, it's uh, in Cathexas Northwest Press in the, uh, I guess it's in the um, June-July issue. Awesome. Yeah, so, or the May-June issue, or the, it's in the most recent issue of Cathexas Northwest online, and it's fun. It's called um, Rain in Fort Valley, Virginia. All right. Well, thank thank you for that. And thanks for talking with us today. Oh my God, I had such a good time, Melissa. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our talented poets and authors. Until next time, this has been Washington Square On Air. Where we showcase selections from Lansing Community College's literary journal, The Washington Square Review. A publication featuring writers in the Great Lakes State, across the nation, and around the world. To find out more about the Washington Square Review, visit lcc.edu slash WSR. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed sharing. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's downtown and west campuses offer conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. LCC offers hybrid meeting capabilities, in-house catering, free event parking, and on-site customer service. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces, visit lcc.edu and search conference. The Modern Warehousing Program through the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College is an industry-led program that prepares individuals for frontline material handling and supply chain logistic positions in medical centers, fulfillment centers, warehouses, and factories. Those who complete this program can earn multiple certifications. Visit lcc.edu slash jtctraining for more information. 
This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.